Good morning. I am David, and I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Redeemer. And uh, man, I just, this morning when I got here, and it's just been another week of not being together. I just really have felt um, a desire to get back to worshiping in person together. July 12th, I'm really looking forward to it. And like at the beginning of a lot of the letters in the Bible, Paul says, you know, uh, we long for you in the spirit. And I think like maybe right now we're getting a sense of what he really meant. And that like there's something that happens when we gather together that's really good. That's part of this healthy, beautiful rhythm for our hearts and our minds and our souls. And, and we need it and we want it. And I'm telling you, I, I'm missing you guys. I really can't wait for the 12th. I really look forward to seeing your faces. <clears throat> Even if some of you look weird behind a mask, right? It's going to be, it's going to be a great day. Um, hang on until then, man, we're still going to show up and worship God and study the scripture. And that's why we're here this morning. Also, um, if you missed it this last week, last Tuesday, I gave a special midweek message that uh, kind of spoke to some of the things happening, there's a lot of things happening in our nation right now. And um, our commitment as a church is to follow Jesus, to really follow Jesus. That's, that's why we exist. And, and what has been the conviction on my heart and what I shared in that message through actually some words of Jesus in the, good, in the parable of the Good Samaritan is that I think right now to follow Jesus, we, we cannot stay silent as a church uh, about the sins of racism, about the problems of injustice in our nation. And we need to speak. We need to stand up. We need to say something. And that, that's really been on my heart. And, and I, I felt convicted that I have not done it more um, and more directly in the past. And I just, in that message, share how I, I really think it's time for me to do that. And I was asking you guys to follow Jesus in this way, too. If you saw that message... Uh, great. If you didn't, go check it out. And if you saw it and you need to talk further, um, let me say I welcome those conversations. I, I'd be honored to kind of share with you and explain more of what's going on. I've had some of them already. They've been really helpful. And, and, I, and I'd welcome uh, to hear from you if, if you need to do that. All right. <clears throat> Today, we are in our new series, uh, Summer on the Mount. And what we're doing is a series is we're open up Matthew chapters five through seven, and we're kind of working through Jesus's very famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is an expository series, and that's a big word. Let me explain what it means. It means that in this series, instead of being topical, where we take like a question or a concern or some situation that's happening in the world around us and say, how does the Bible speak into this? In an expository series, we actually just open up the Bible and, and we see how it speaks, verse by verse, idea by idea. We're just listening here to the words of Jesus in, in this world-changing sermon and, uh, and, and seeing what it says and trying to understand it. And I'll be honest, actually, when we kind of got into this, I had a little bit of hesitation about doing this expository series because people have kind of heard the Sermon on the Mount. Most people have before parts of it. Uh, and, and because I was like, there is a lot of stuff 
happening in the world around us, like overwhelming numbers of things happening, questions people are asking. And, and, and I, I, was, I just wondered to myself, is this going to be relevant? Is this going to speak in the ways that we need to hear? And I hesitated. And then this week, I sat down to prepare, and I opened up Matthew 5, and I heard Jesus speak. And I was reminded of something really, really important. And it's what the book of Hebrews says. It's this, that the word of God is alive and active, right? These, these words in this book on these pages, they're not just, they're not just words. They, they jump off the page into our lives. This isn't just any book. This is the witness the testimony of our very living God. This Bible contains the story of reconciliation that, that has changed the world. And, and it's the center of our hope, the story in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and we don't make it say what we want. When we open it, it makes us. And, and I, I just hope and pray that as we move through these next weeks, and you kind of open, open the scripture with, with me, and you read it, that, that you'll, you'll have a soft in us heart to, to hear Jesus speak to you. Because the word of God is alive and active, and, and it will. I, I am certain it will. It's jumped off the page for me. And that's, that's what I'm praying, that, that we would hear Jesus' words and be the church and people that he calls us to be these next few weeks, all right? All right, I want to I want to pray and then we're going to we're going to move into the passage for today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to come before you. We all come before you now um, with humble hearts and with minds that are tuned in. And Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I really ask that you'd speak to us. We need your leadership and your guidance. We need to hear from you. This week, Lord, in these coming days, we, we need the sustenance that we get from knowing and following you. And I just pray that wherever our hearts and minds are, that through the softening of the Spirit, through the work that you do as we hear your word, Lord, you, you would just help us be and become the church that you've raised up to change the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, you are a rock, and Jesus, you are our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Today's message is titled, Blessed is the Salty, or the Salty. And uh, if you've got your Bible and want to follow along, we're in the second section after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 19. And I actually want to begin reading the second half so I can make a really critical connection. We're going to start reading verses 17 through 19 in a moment. First, I want to introduce you to somebody that you probably haven't met yet. His name is Marcion. And I don't actually know what his last name was, uh, but I do know he was a man who was part of the church who lived in Rome in the second century, and Marcion was a heretic. And 
I, I don't mean that in like the name calling kind of mean way. I, I, I really mean that in like the technical definition of the term heretic. Marcion was a person who had an idea that was fundamentally not compatible with a right understanding of Christian faith. It was problematic. And what, what was that idea? Well, Marcion actually wanted to get rid of the Old Testament. He wanted to drop it like a hot potato. He uh, liked Jesus in the new, but when it came to the Yahweh of the Jews, he really struggled and didn't like him at all. And so what Marcion did is he said, this part of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, I'm going to get rid of it. He got rid of it. Then he kind of edited out parts he didn't like in the New Testament, and he made his own little Bible, and he traveled around trying to convince people of his perspective. And Marcion, needless to say then, was not a church hero. And I said that you haven't met Marcion, but um, I, I think the reality is many people have encountered kind of this idea before. And maybe not so much people wanting to like chop up the Bible into pieces, but uh, people really struggling with some of the elements that we read in, in the Jewish Bible, in the Old Testament. And uh, I imagine some of you have, have, have wrestled with those things because when you open it up and you study it, there really are some things that are culturally so different, that are tough, that are, are, are violent and brutal and hard to understand and raise questions really for many of us about the character of God. And just to kind of affirm that in my own faith journey, um, I had to answer questions that I had about things that I read in the Old Testament before I fully and completely gave my life to following Jesus. I had to work through those things, and I imagine uh, some of you have too, and some of you still may have questions. In one Sunday or group of Sundays, I promise you, we will look at some of those issues and challenges that we look at as 21st century Americans reading an ancient, ancient book and I'll, and I'll address them and answer them and hope to give you s some answers, right? And hopefully redeem some of the Old Testament for you. All of it, actually. But before any of that, actually, the biggest problem in my mind to uh, dropping the Old Testament like a hot potato or downplaying it or pushing it to the side is actually Jesus. It's his very words. And that's what's going to come at us here in the first section from the Sermon on the Mount. Let me go ahead and read this for you. Verses 16 through 19, Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, reading this passage, hearing Jesus's words, it's really kind of hard to argue against the assertion that Jesus is 
pro Old Testament. He's for it. He's in support of it. He, and, and he's not just in support parts of it. He is wholly and completely committed to all of it. This phrase that he uses in verse 17, the law or the prophets, that is a way that Jews referred to the entirety of, of their scriptural corpus. Genesis to Malachi, the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, prophets is all the rest. He's saying all of it. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, right? He's affirming it. And then just in case that wasn't clear enough, what does Jesus say? Well, he, he, he says not the smallest letter of that law, right? Not the least stroke of a pen is to be neglected or ignored or pushed aside. We don't dismiss any of this. Those are the words of Jesus about the Old Testament. And, and we need to hear them. And you know, um, I think this is just important to say, I've, I've had conversations with with, I think, really well-intended folks who have said, you know, I, I, in my Christian faith, you know, there's a lot in the Bible. Um, and, and what I really want to do is just kind of totally focus on Jesus, right? I want to focus on Jesus. Paul, you know, what happened in Genesis, I'm not, I'm not totally concerned with those things, right? I just, I just want to read the words of Jesus and form my faith around those things. And, and and I just want to say, I, on one level, I get that. Right? Uh, there is actually, I think, some elements of good in that kind of approach because Jesus is what the scriptures point to, right? Jesus is certainly the right place to understand Christian faith, which is about Christ, him and Christ. But if you read Jesus's passage, do you see, do you see what the problem is there? He, he doesn't let us do that. If we want to focus on Jesus, Jesus focuses us on the entire corpus of scripture. He clothes himself in, in all of the Bible, and, and, and it's just not an option that he, he gives us. He's upholding all of it, all of God's, God's word, right? And, and, and really what's very important to understand is this word fulfill that he uses I don't have time to really go into all of it, but here's where I think the gist of it is when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, them, but to fulfill them. Here's what I think he's after. I, I think what he's saying is there's a, a, a deep, important continuity between the Old Testament and me. I am not God's plan B. This is not some sort of new, fresh revelation that I'm trying to show you. What I'm trying to show you is where God's merciful and gracious part has been pointed the whole time in giving you the law and speaking to you through the prophets. I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm coming to make it all make sense and be clarified. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying what God has always intended in the giving you of this law that he's about to speak on it through the, the rest of the chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to clarify the law. I'm living it out and I want you to really live it out too, right? That's what I'm trying to show you. I'm fulfilling the law. And that's a really good segue, actually, into the next section of Scripture that's really important to understand. 
Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Here's Jesus. He says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a city cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. You know, um, I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that I started to sense this last week and just like a a greater way was actually a a growing feeling of pessimism uh, around me. And um, I'm not talking just glass half full, frustrated pessimism. I'm talking like people looking around and saying, what can we actually do about this? What, what, what is it that we can actually do about, about our world, right? And, and I, I want to say, like, on one level, I don't think that feeling's unfounded. Like, I, I think that, that there's some, some reasons folks are feeling that. Um, I get it. We're facing some really big, scary things right now. We are still, we are still dealing with a health pandemic that is not normal. Our lives are not normal, and we don't know where this thing goes from here. We don't know what the fall looks like. We, we don't know what the next years of our nation look like. We don't know. And there's concern about that, and we don't feel like we have much of an ability to change that, do we? And then on, on top of that, you know, it's really erupted in our, in our nation over the last two weeks is this increased awareness of these notes of racism and these realities of injustice that have been flowing through our world that are, that are really tough, that are so big, that are really scary as we watch the back and forth, the actions and the reactions. People are saying, what can we do about this? And I get it, right? When I was talking to a friend who said, um, you know, one of the things that I think is really tough for me about this is that even if we were able to legislate and change injustice, if we were able to tackle some of the systemic issues, what we cannot change is people's hearts, right? And, and I, I actually think that's very right. I think that racism is, is a sin issue, which means it's an issue of the heart, which means it cannot be solved by making new laws. It can only be solved by a change of the heart. And I, and I also deeply believe that what we are dealing with in our own, in our own ways and fighting against this and the actions and the reactions is not just, right, the, the problem of the heart that's flesh and blood, but there are spiritual forces of darkness and evil at work in the world that want to divide us and make this worse 
and, and, and hurt us that do not have our best interests in, in, interests in mind. And, and that's real. And, and, and so, like, it, it's kind of overwhelming to think about the brokenness of the human heart and the brokenness in our world. And, and, and to, to look around and say, what can we do about this? There's people that are saying, I don't think it's much. It doesn't feel like we can do much. And, and, and so I think what one of the tendencies is right now is to move into kind of this survival mode, to kind of retreat, to kind of uh, feel like I've just got to, to, to take care of me and my family and feel a paralysis about having the ability to do th- something. You know, and I, I think that there are some Christians kind of throwing up their hands in what is like kind of a felt holy dismay. I heard someone say... Um, you know, we really just need to hold on until Jesus returns. It'll be made better. And I, and I will admit that does feel a little closer right now than it has in quite a while, right? But if that's you, if you are sensing like this rising gripping pessimism and this concern about what can we do, can I really encourage you to read what Jesus says in this passage over the next week? Because what really jumps out to me is that Jesus isn't pessimistic at all about our ability to change things. We might not have a lot of confidence, but what I read in those words that, that are there is that Jesus has tremendous confidence in us and our ability to make a difference even in some of the toughest things that are, that are in our face in this world. He begins this, this section, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. First thing I, I want to actually note here is Jesus says, you are, maybe you've been picking up the increased volume in my voice, you are, it's actually extremely emphatic, his you are. In fact, so much so, and it's hard to see this in English, but he's almost got like two you's in the Greek. It's like, you, you are, you, you are. Like if we were to have an equivalent of this that we might be able to understand Maybe this will help. You know how here in the South, I've learned to say when I want to address a group of people instead of you guys, I say y'all, right? Well, Jesus here would be saying like, all y'all, right? That's, that's kind of what he's saying. All y'all, you are, the, you are the salt of the earth. All y'all, you are the light of the world. He's driving it home. He's reminding them who they are. Second thing, in these two metaphors, salt and light, what Jesus is, is trying to help us see is our ability to influence the world around us. That's the whole point of, of these metaphors. The church, this is what the church does in society. It influences, changes it for the better. Firstly, Jesus says, the earth is like rotting flesh, rotting meat, right? In those days without refrigeration, if it hangs on a hook overnight, it's bad. So what did they do? They put salt on it to stop the growth of bacteria, to, to make it have flavor, right? And, and Jesus is saying, that's, that's what you do. You are like the salt that stops 
bad things. It preserves the good in society. That's what you do. That's who you are, right? And then the second one, Jesus says the world is like a dark place. And people are walking around not knowing where they're going or, or why. And though in those days at night, it was really dangerous. There was a lot of fear to walk out. And here, what Jesus says is, you are a city on a hill. You help people see, you clarify things. You are a place that people look up and say, oh, I, I want to be there. I'll go there for shelter, right? That's who you are. And and I, I just don't want you to miss this right now. Jesus believes that the church changes the world. Jesus believes that you and I, as a banded group of his followers, change the world for the better. That's absolutely what he's telling us here. And he's not, he's not some sort of blind optimist. He was very aware of the brokenness in our lives and how churches get off track and have their own faults and failures. But none of that stops him from saying, this is who you are. All y'all, that's who you are, okay? And I just, I just want you to remember that now. I just think that is such an important message for us right now. There is no force, there has been no force in in the entire world like the church, like the people who are committed to following Jesus. Nothing has transformed lives. Nothing has changed communities. Nothing has led the charge for, for goodness and justice and peace in society like the church has over the years and continues to do in the present day. And that's why if you study history, what you'll see even in our own country is that the church has had a history of leading the change. It has educated the uneducated. Why do you think we call it Sunday school? It has gone to building hospitals for those who needed healthcare. That's why we have a Methodist and an Episcopal hospital system. That's why hospitals are named after saints, right? The, the, the church has, has created safety nets for the vulnerable in society long before the state had, had social programs. The church was looking out for people. And the church has led the way in, in, in leading in issues of, of justice and peace. It has been part of the abolishment of slavery and the ending of apartheid and, 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 and this is the tip of an iceberg that we read about there. And frankly, I have seen with my own eyes in community after community as a church has made a commitment to following Jesus and changing the world around it. And, and y'all, that is what we are. That is who Jesus calls us to be. And that's what happens when we live out his law right? And, and, and that's so key, actually living out the faith we proclaim. Jesus is kind of concerned here, as you see it, about salt going bad, right? He, he says um, there, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? I read that, uh, and I realized for years I've heard this passage, and I've never actually thought about how salt loses its saltiness. I don't really know how that happens. So I looked it up, and here's what I 
learned, no surprise, salt can't become not salty. It is the same. It has the same chemical makeup. Uh, it's going to have salty flavor, just like grass is green, right? Uh, it doesn't change. However, what happens and what Jesus was well aware of, because it happened in his day, is sometimes salt gets mixed in with other things. Uh, it, it, if there was a dishonest merchant in Jesus' day, this precious commodity of salt would oftentimes be mixed with something else for more volume, but what would it have? Less effect. Uh, it would get impurities in it. It started to have things that made it lose what it, what it was made to do. And when people got salt that was diluted enough, they would just throw it out. It wasn't salt anymore. Uh, it, it wasn't good for anything. It was trampled underfoot. And, and, and so here's why I think Jesus is pointing that out, is that he, in reminding us who we are, is also telling us we have to stay who we are. We have to continue to be committed to following Jesus because if we get too mixed up with the things around us, if we get involved in all of the other stuff and ideas and values and div divisiveness and vitriol and hate in the society around us, what happens? We lose our distinctiveness and we lose our, our purpose and our power. And in doing so, we lose our ability to influence, right? It ceases. We cease to be what God's created us and called us to be, right? I, I would say it like this. Jesus is saying the church makes a difference when the church is different. The church makes a difference when the church is different. And that's not a new idea. To tie this into the rest of the passage, remember Jesus' commitment to the law earlier? Uh, well, one of the major purposes God gave that law to his people in the Old Testament was so that they would be different from the people around them. He's very clear about that. God says, I am holy. I'm set apart. I'm different. So you're going to be holy. And God's law was supposed to then shape the behavior of the Israelites in a way that they stood out from all of the other people, these tribes in the ancient Near East around them. And we see that actually when we start to understand what was going on in that world and the contrast that the law actually, actually gives to it. Like that was a brutal, terrible, violent world. And what happened in it is that somebody would, would, would get an eye ripped out, right? To use Jesus's example. And they wouldn't just go back for an eye. They would then go and kill your son, right? And, and so when God in the Old Testament says, take only an eye for an eye, he's trying to stop the escalation of violence. He's saying justice only requires this. And then what Jesus is going to show us is that actually in a few weeks, it's not just that justice requires this, what God actually wants that makes us different is, is learning not to harbor hatred for our enemies in the first place, right? And that's what gives us our distinctiveness. Here's another example. 
In the ancient Near East, in this tribal world, if you got mixed up with people in another tribe, if you were a minority in, in a bigger group, you weren't a second-class citizen. You, you were trash. You were treated horribly. And in, in what we see in the Old Testament is that God says to his people, the Israelites, about the aliens and the foreigners residing among them, Leviticus 19, the foreigner living among you must be treated as your native born, as if he is one of you, as if he fully and completely belongs. Why? Because God saw that as different. Every single person was created in the image of God. And so you can't treat people as second-class citizens. You have to see them as one of your own because they are. Right? And when, when the church sees this and understands that and realizes that as we live out the things that God wants us to do, what Jesus is trying to drive home is that it's different we change the narrative. Things are not the same old. We give flavor to a blah and bland world. We create change in ways that our world desperately, desperately needs change. And, and, and Jesus is saying, church, my disciples, that's who you are. All y'all, that's who you are. And I just, I just want to share some places where I, I got some inspiration on what that kind of might look like this week. I know a lot of you have watched images on TV and there's been a lot of tough things, a lot of pain and hurt and yelling and anger. And, and, and then I, I've seen some really beautiful things that are different, that, that, that have changed things that I think kind of move us into the heart of what Jesus is talking about. Like, after the riots that have occurred, uh, in many of the major cities, there's been groups of people, uh, black and white and brown, all coming together to do what? To sweep up the streets and help repair the damage and rebuild a city. And it's a beautiful image of unity, even when there isn't uniformity, right? It's, it's different. That's salty, right? Maybe some of you saw this um, in Louisville, Kentucky. During one of the protests, there was a policeman who got separated from his squad. And the people there that were supposed to be upset and angry at him, what did they do instead of, of going after him to protect him, they locked arms and created a barricade around him. And it was beautiful. It was different. It's salty, right? Um, maybe you guys have seen some of these images. This is in Florida. There's a group of police and a group of protesters. And here they are face to face. And what, what do these police do? They take a knee saying, we hear you, we, un we, we, we know, we mourn the loss of George Floyd. We're, we're sorry, in a sense. And it's this beautiful image that changes things. I want to tell you that's salty. And then lastly, I can't see the video. I hope we're there right now. This one really touched my heart. This was a young man who was at one of the protests who saw a policeman. And instead of seeing him as the enemy, he, he was moved to pray for him.
And so he's praying that he would be protected and that he would have discernment and that he would do the good work that he's supposed to do. And and he's with him and he's for him. And what I want to tell you is, y'all, that's that's what Jesus is calling us to do. That is the difference that we are supposed to be that makes a difference. And if you are the salt of the earth, if you are the light of the world, right, how, how do you do that? How do we in these next weeks going forward really be the people that we are? And, and I pray that you'll follow Jesus and you'll do those things. And man, I, I pray that we as a church step and do that together, that we follow Jesus and we lead others to Jesus. And y'all, I think in doing so, we'll change the world. Let's pray for the Lord to do that in our midst right here, right now. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and this promise of justice and peace and and reconciliation that we have in your son Jesus, that we know that in all the failings and the failures we've had, Lord, that you have forgiven us, that you've given us grace. And Lord, through that vertical reconciliation that we have with you, we can look to our brothers and sisters on our right and our left and say, Jesus changes everything, right? We can see the goodness in humanity and who God's made us to be. And Lord, you can, you can move us to make a difference today in this world around us that needs it. And I pray that we would hear the cry of the needy, that we would know what it is that you've called us to do to love our neighbor, Lord Jesus, and that we would do it. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone's heart right here, right now, this morning, Lord, I pray that you would do your work to heal that heart, to move it towards grace and reconciliation. And Lord, as you move us, we would be your agents of change in the world so that we we would have influence that makes a difference. And Jesus, we believe that you can do this. We are your people called by your name. We humble ourselves, Lord. We repent and we ask you to heal our land. And Lord, lead us to be a part of it. In the name of your son, we say these things.